What a wonderful time of worship and what a wonderful way to start out our service today. Uh, now we're going to transition into worshiping the Lord through listening and studying his word. And so as we move into that uh, part of our service, what I wanna do is go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to use this time to speak to our hearts and minds and change our hearts. So will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for this time. And Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to our minds and hearts. Help us to be open to the, the words that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit and through your word. Uh, Lord, help us to be willing to open our minds and hearts to the changes that you would want us to make through your Holy Spirit uh, that you would want us to make in our own lives. Uh, and so open our minds to you. Help us uh, to be ready to receive the truth that you have for our lives and help us to have the courage and the strength to live out that truth uh, in our lives. So Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, and we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps today, and we're going to be in two passages. So here's what I want you to do. The first passage is Mark chapter 7, and the second passage is 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you're not familiar with where those books are located in your Bible, uh, here's what I want you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, a book, uh, I want you to open up to the table of contents. You'll find that the Bible's broken up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mark Mark and 2 Timothy are both located in the New Testament. And so find that big section, the New Testament. You'll want to find Mark. It's actually the second book of the New Testament. And then scroll down just a little further through that list of books and look for 2 Timothy. So Mark, second, Mark and 2 Timothy. Now specifically, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, if you're in an app, what I would ask you to do is pull down the list of books of the Bible. You'll find that Mark is about two-thirds of the way down that list. So find that one and then get familiar with where 2 Timothy is at. It's just a little ways past Mark. So just keep scrolling until you find 2 Timothy. So again, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 7 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Now, have you ever heard uh, of a slang term uh, which is poser? Have you ever heard of a poser? Uh, uh, like I said, this is a slang term. Uh, it's used mostly by younger generations. Uh, uh, some it's popular with, some it's not so much. But a poser is this. A poser is someone pretending to be someone or something else. Uh, it's, it's a faker. It's a, someone who's a sham or a wannabe. Uh, and and I've always been tempted, and I think all of us have been tempted at some point in our lives to pretend to be someone that we're not, <clears throat> or specifically to pretend to be someone that we should not be. Um, I, I know that I've seen it in uh, groups that I've wanted to belong to, uh, <clears throat> or things that I really liked that I wanted to get into, but I wasn't actually into those things. One way or the other, being a poser, being a faker, being a wannabe is not a positive thing. It's not something that you and I should strive to be. We should be real. We should be authentic. We should be truthful about who we are and how we present ourselves uh, to the world around us. Uh, and today, 
Jesus is gonna give us a warning about the ways that we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're something when we're actually not that thing. Uh, and so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. And Jesus addresses it really pretty bluntly in Mark chapter seven. So now's the time that we're gonna open to Mark chapter seven. Um, and uh, re remember, we're gonna be in 2 Timothy chapter four towards the end of the message today. So stick with me in Mark seven. I'll give you a heads up when we're about to turn to 2 Timothy. What I wanna read today is two sections of Mark chapter seven. So we're gonna begin in verse one. Uh, so join with me as we read Mark seven, starting in verse one. It says this, now when the Pharisees gathered to him, meaning Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, meaning that they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining uh, couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said this to them, well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites. Is it, is, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teachings as doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Verse nine, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles your father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Now, I, I want to stop here. Don't, don't close your Bible completely. Keep your finger there because we're going to open this back up and read the next section in just a moment. I want to explain what's going on because this is kind of a, a complicated passage or a confusing passage if you're not familiar with the customs of Jesus's day and time. So Jesus says you leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions or the values of men. That's in verse 8. You see, in Jesus's time, the religious leaders of his day had two main sources of authority that they turned to. They had the Bible, uh, what we're reading today, the Old Testament, but they also had what they called the traditions of the elders. Uh, Jesus references that exact phrase multiple times in the passage that we just read. Now, the traditions of the elders were these traditions that uh, the Pharisees and other religious leaders had established um, in order to organize their society better, in order to follow God's law better, um, and in order to you know, make life better just in general for the Jewish people. Um, actually, these traditions of the elders 
elders ended up getting written down into a writing called the Mishnah. Uh, and the, you can still pull up and do a Google search for the Mishnah and you can read these traditions of the elders. But there came a point, as Jesus calls out in this passage, where they held their traditions as having more authority than God's word. And in doing so, they voided out, they canceled some of the commandments that God had in his word. That specifically, in the one that Jesus calls out today uh, in this passage they had, a, a, there was a commandment uh, in the Old Testament where Moses had commanded that you were to honor your father and mother. That's actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And he had ordered, he had commanded through God that we were to honor our father and mother and that we were supposed to care for our father and mother when they became elderly when they got old. And this was a command that had been passed down through God's word that was very clearly taught. But then the Pharisees and the elders had come along and created this new tradition. And this new tradition uh, was where if a child did not want to care for their parents in their elder ages, that child could go to his parents and say, whatever I owed you, whatever I would have given you in your old age, I give as what is called Corbin. Corbin was a term in that day and time, meaning everything within a Corbin was dedicated to God. And so a child could go to his parents and say, everything that I owe you when you become old, I said as Corbin, I'm gonna dedicate that to God instead. And that would write off, it would, it would exclude that child's parents from receiving the, the care that that child would give them. And it was an excuse that the elders and the Pharisees had given people to disobey God's command to care for a person's parents. And Jesus calls this right out. Uh, and there's no denying it. It's clearly recorded in the tradition of the elders, but it's also in clear defiance of what God's word actually says. And Jesus at the end of this talk that he has, this condemnation that he gives to these Pharisees, he says, and not only with the, the honoring your father and mother, but you've done it with many of the commandments, many of the instructions and commandments that God has given us. So Jesus is coming down hard on these Pharisees and he's, he's telling them how they have turned the people away from the commands and the instructions of the Lord through their traditions. Now pick back up with me in the next verse, verse 14. So we're in Mark 7, verse 14, and look at what happens. And he called the people again to him and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand this. There is nothing outside a person by going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then... Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart, but, is it, but into his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's an interesting passage. And actually, look with me again. Look with me what he says starting in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? Come from within us. And that is what defiles a person. You see, Jesus is warning not unbelievers, but believers, religious people. He's warning us. He's warning the church. He's warning us against unbiblical traditions and mindsets and and loyalties that we may have. You see, some of these Traditions and mindsets and loyalties can be very, very good. We, we have traditions here at First Southern that are godly. They're biblical. They lead people to the life-changing hope of Jesus. But there are also other traditions and mindsets and loyalties that we as Christians get caught up in that are not healthy, that are not godly, that are not biblical. And that leads me to today's big idea. So if you've ever watched uh, one of my sermons or many of my sermons, you've probably noticed that I usually give a big idea, which is a summary of the main point, the main drive of that day's message. And here is today's big idea. Today's big idea is this. Our self-focused perception will lead to self-destroying deception. Let me say that again. Our self-focused perception will lead to self-destroying deception. You see, all too many times we want to take this passage that Jesus is condemning the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his time. We want to take this condemnation and we want to apply it to someone else. We want to apply it to those other Christians or those other people or that guy in our church or that pastor when in reality Jesus is speaking directly to each and every one of us this is a warning to all of us every Christian out there every person who claims to follow Jesus with their life every person who claims to be saved to be rescued from their sin this is a warning to us not to them, not to that person, not to that religious leader or pastor, it's to you. It's to every single one of us who claim to follow Jesus. Now, let me take a side road for just a minute because I've been talking about over the last uh, 60 to 90 seconds about following Jesus. And, And some of you watching and listening right now may not know Jesus. Maybe you're not following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And let me speak to you for just a minute. Jesus was and is the Son of God. He is perfect. He was perfect. He came to this earth and lived a sinless life. And at the end of his life, he was condemned by the religious leaders of that time, and he was hung on a cross. He was executed. 
And he died on that cross and on the third day he rose from the grave. And what that did for you and I is that death and that resurrection provided forgiveness to each and every one of us for our sins. You see, sin is the, are the ways that we disobey and break God's law. And by that, when we break God's law, when we disobey God, we are condemned. We, we deserve punishment for breaking God's law. But when Jesus died on that cross, Jesus paid that price. He took your punishment and my punishment for our sins. And when he rose from the grave on the third day, he declared victory over that sin. He declared victory over death. And he wants to offer you that forgiveness from your sins. He wants to rescue you from the consequences of your sins. Because hear me clearly, if you uh, do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you don't come to know him before you die, there's a place where you will go where you will suffer forever, eternal uh, uh, punishment for your sins. But Jesus offers you a way to, to get away from that punishment and instead live in a perfect existence forever with him where there is no mourning, no weeping, no sorrow, no pain, no death, no discomfort. It's a perfect existence with Jesus. And so if you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to be rescued from your sins and the consequences of your sins, all you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and declare with your mouth that Jesus rose from the grave, according to Romans chapter 10. And when you do that, you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And what I want you to do, if you've got questions about Jesus or, or you wanna know more uh, about what this looks like or you just wanna make a decision for Jesus, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to send an email to the, the email address that's on your screen right now. Drop what you're doing, send an email. We'll reach out to you right now and have that conversation with you because we wanna see you come to know Jesus. We wanna answer any questions you may have about Jesus. So let me come back to the message. Our self-focused perception will lead to self-destroying deception. We deceive ourselves when we perceive ourselves in a selfish way or we, we perceive our faith in a selfish way. And again, we all too many times want to take this passage today and point to someone else. But Jesus is not condemning the lost, the, those who don't know God, in this passage, he's condemning those who claim to be God followers. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we must pay very close attention to what Jesus is trying to teach us and make us aware of in our own lives. Right, so now's the point where we're gonna go to 2 Timothy chapter four. So flip with me over to 2 Timothy chapter four. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about how you examine your life. Many of us don't examine our lives. We don't examine our faith. We think that we're morally good people and that we're doing a great job following Jesus when Jesus over and over and over in his word commands us to examine our hearts and ask God through his Holy Spirit to reveal to us 
the ways that we fall short of God's will and God's perfect plan for our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is a beautiful example of this. So look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now catch this part, verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, background on 2 Timothy. Paul, uh, one of the great, great leaders and writers in the New Testament, is writing to a young preacher named Timothy. Timothy was uh, one of his students. Um, he guided him, taught him, and then he sent him out to preach and be the leader uh, of churches all over the world at that day and time. And he's giving Timothy some very specific instructions to the church, to you and I. So look with me again in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You see, we, when every time I've read this passage, every time I've heard it taught, I've always heard it applied to those people. I've always heard it applied to that group. And usually in the circles that we run in as Baptists, as conservative, theologically people, um, we tend to look at this passage as applying to those who have a left-leaning theology or a, a liberal theology. And don't misunderstand me, Clearly, this passage applies to that heresy, that heresy that we don't need to look at God's word and we need to do uh, this and that according to our own emotions and thoughts and, and leanings and twistings of the culture of that day. But this applies to us also. Uh, please hear me. It applies to us. And how do I know that this passage applies to us, to even those of us who are theologically conservative and Bible-believing. Well, back up one chapter. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is who Timothy is being addressed to look at. So look at verse 1 in chapter 3. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. You see, 
even those of us who have the appearance of godliness are being warned by this passage. We must pay attention to what it's saying. You see, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that the devil is very crafty, that he appears like an angel of light to deceive people. You see, the devil is sneaky, he's deceptive, and he knows exactly how to deceive you and I, even those of us who are following Jesus and who read our Bibles and who pray, he can sneak in from outside influences and through our own passions and desires, he can turn us away from fully focusing our faith on Jesus like we talked about last week. You see, he's going to make his crafty schemes look like a righteous path and a godly path when in fact they're very unbiblical. I mean, that's exactly what he did with Jesus when he tempted him in Matthew chapter four. If you're not familiar with that account of Jesus's life, go back to Matthew chapter four and read how the devil uses God's word to try and deceive Jesus. And he does the same with you and I. He makes things look very righteous and godly when in fact they are unbiblical. Charles Spurgeon, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he's this historically amazing preacher and theologian, um, really a cornerstone of American and international faith. And Charles Spurgeon said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Let me say that again. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. You see, we can be deceived by something that looks almost right. That's the way the devil deceives you and I as followers of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 tells us very clearly that the devil will use our own legalistic tendencies to turn us away from God. He will use the deception of legalism and tradition in order to pull us away from the godliness that Jesus has for us. So we must be cautious about that. Jesus himself did not condemn the lost, the unfaithful. He condemned the religious leaders of his day. He didn't condemn uh, those who were far from God, but those who claimed to be close to God. And so we need to pay attention to these things. Those of us who are following Jesus, we need to constantly evaluate our heart, our mind, our loyalties, our traditions, everything. We need to examine those things in order to make sure that our faith in God is pure. And so the deceptions that, that are going to constantly try and pull us away kind of pull us away in three different ways. And I got this from David Platt, uh, a great preacher uh, in our country today. David Platt says this, our deceptions promote self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-interest. And they're things that we are being deceived by today. Every single one of us are deceived in some way by self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-interest. Uh, did you notice the common thread in these though? It's self. 
We are deceived by our own selves, by our selfishness. You know, we long to support ideas and peoples and loyalties, etc., cetera, uh, that are not biblical, but they may seem good, especially good for us and our self-interest, our self-righteousness and our self-centeredness. Uh, for example, we may value more than the Bible. We may value unknowingly our safety. Uh, we may uh, look down on a certain people because we're afraid that they may hurt us or they may deceive us or, or they may do something to us. And so because we value our safety more than we value what God's word tells us to do, we may hurt or uh, persecute or, or treat unfairly a certain group of people. We also may uh, have more loyalty to our country, to our nation, than we ought to. We, we may value being an American to the point that we forget and we disobey God's rules, God's laws for our lives. And we have to be careful that our national loyalty does not supersede our loyalty to our Savior, our Lord. And so we've got to be cautious about that. We may sometimes take our loyalty towards people that we identify with or that we're comfortable with, and we may hurt other people by uh, ha being too loyal to our own. And in turn, we may discriminate or hurt or be unfair, show favoritism to our people over their people. That's what we see in Acts chapter 6. We may value our legalism to the point, our self-righteousness to the point that we hurt others, we don't love others because we're trying to be legalistically and morally right rather than letting God's righteousness fill us and through the love of him and the love of others, let that righteousness spread the life-changing hope of Jesus. You see, when we do this, we turn our back on loving God and loving others. We make excuses for disobeying the fundamental commandments that God gives us. Remember in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what are the most important, what's the most important commandment in all of the Bible? Jesus says, the first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians talks about how loving our neighbor is the fulfillment of all of scripture. And so we must drive our morality, our loyalties, our ideologies, everything drives toward loving God and loving others. So here's my question. Our big idea today was our self-focused perception will lead to self-destroying deception. So what self-focused perception is your personal deception? What are you deceived by? What perception in your own mind and heart, what loyalty, what ideology, uh, what mindset is deceiving you from being totally focused on God and Jesus and what they command us to do, what he commands us to do? What have you been willing to value over God's commands for you? Well, today we're gonna to do something a little bit different than we usually do. We're gonna to go to the Lord in prayer now. Uh, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend some time 
taking a moment and asking God to examine our hearts, our motives, uh, our mindsets, our loyalties, etc., and reveal to us how our self-focused perceptions may be deceiving us from wholly following God. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to pray a passage, a biblical passage today. And that passage is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to pray this scripture line for line. I'm going to I'm going to quote the line, I'm going to quote the scripture, and then I'm going to pray, say a prayer about that particular scripture, that particular line of scripture. And then I'm going to go silent. I'm going to leave it silent for a moment, and I want you to pray that prayer for yourself, uh, for your own uh, self uh, perceptions, the, that, that self-focused perception that may be leading you away from God. And then I'll do that with the next lines, and we'll just go through this uh, rotation of this passage the whole way through. So um, will you join me in prayer? And remember, this is interactive. I'm going to leave some silent points. During those silent points, pray to yourself about what we're praying about today. So join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've provided for us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you've given us grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, we value you. And it's because we value you that we're coming to you today. You, we know, we recognize that you are God the Father, that you sent your one and only uh, unique son, Jesus Christ, your son, God the Son, to die on a cross for our sins. And you send to us when we follow you, when we believe in Jesus and we make him the Lord and the master and the savior of our lives, we know that you send to us God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to guide us and direct us, to examine us. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray today that you would open our minds and hearts through your Holy Spirit to see the ways that we have self-deceived ourselves, that you would help us to see how our self-focus, our perceptions, our mindsets, our loyalties, our traditions, how those things are keeping us from completely and wholly following you. And so today we lift up to you, we pray Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. So the first line of that passage, Lord, says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, I pray today that you would search our hearts, that you would examine us and help us to know our hearts, help us to know the way our hearts uh, lean and what, the, what our hearts feel that may be pulling us away from you. So Lord, we pray today that through your Holy Spirit, you would examine our hearts and help us to see the ways that our hearts deceive us. Now take a moment and pray that prayer for yourself.
the second line of Psalm 139, verse 23 says, try me, test me, and know my thoughts. Lord, I pray that you would test us, that you would try us, that you would push us, and that you would reveal to us our thoughts, our thinking, our mindsets, our loyalties. Lord, help us to know those things. Help us to be self-aware of the thoughts that we have that pull us away from you. So take, some, take a moment and pray that the Lord would open your mind so that you would know the thoughts through his Holy Spirit, that you would know the thoughts that are pulling you away from totally and 100% following him and his desires for your life. Psalm 139, the first line of verse 24 says, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Lord, I pray today that you would help each and every one of us to see the ways that we grieve you, the ways that we fall short of your glory, the ways that we don't follow you completely. So reveal to us the ways in our minds, our hearts, our lives, our actions, our words. Reveal to us the ways that we are not following you and we fall short of you and your purpose. And lastly, the last line of Psalm 139 says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I pray right now that you would help each and every one of us to completely submit to your leading, that you would guide us and direct us through your Holy Spirit and that we would willingly and completely submit to that leading of your Holy Spirit. Help us to know where he's taking us. Help us to know where he wants us to go, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to say so that we can completely glorify your name and lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So help us to submit to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Take a moment and pray that. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, that you didn't leave us uh, alone, that you didn't leave us without some help and assistance. No, you love us so much that you sent us your Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to examine us. 
And Lord, my prayer today is that we would not take it for granted that we are good Christians, that we're good followers of you. I pray that you would help us to realize that we can do nothing without you, that we are helpless without your help. We are hopeless without your hope, and we are uh, needy uh, in need of you. Help us, Lord, to realize uh, that we are not perfect, we are not good, we're not even moral. We need you and your righteousness. We need you and your perfection in order to do the most basic functions of our faith. So Lord, help us to be open enough with ourselves, to be honest enough with ourselves, to examine our hearts and minds and to understand the ways that we are not following you. And help us to change our lives through your Holy Spirit that you would change us and that we would be willing to be changed so that we can be more closely following you, that we could live our lives more closely following you, and in turn, that we would lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus through our belief, through our growth, through our connection, and through the ways we serve, that we would lead others to you. Use us, but before you use us, change us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.